Good morning. How are you guys doing? Well, good. We're glad you are here today, and I see some guests with us, among us, and uh, so welcome. You know, our, our motto around here is that we want to follow the royal law of loving God and loving others, and so with that, if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. Uh, in the back there, there's some connection cards. You can fill that out and prayer requests, praises, what's going on in your life and how we can help you is our best interest. And so that's our desire. And uh, so also, also back there, just let you know the offering plates are back there. So when you leave today, if you'd like to give in the offering, and if you're a guest here, we don't expect that. I'm saying this for our church family, just to, we won't be passing a plate, but it's back there. Uh, today is a special day because we get to have a baptismal service. Yeah. We love the baptismal. And today's special is because we are going to have an outdoor baptismal service. Thomas is going to be baptized. He has some friends and family with him. And Thomas, uh, that's really cool. And you're taking this step, identifying with Jesus Christ. I can't think of a more public way to do that than outdoors. And we'll gather around the baptismal tank, have prayer, and then we'll proceed with the baptism. It's identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection yes. of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And every candidate that goes into baptism, they love that uh, identifying with the resurrection because if we didn't have the resurrection, it would be just death, burial... <laughs> And that's it. <laughs> and so, but he raised up from the grave, and so will we uh, do that with Thomas. So uh, I think it would be good for us to just uh, start with a word of prayer. So would you bow heads in prayer? There are a lot of things that are going on in our country, in America, and perhaps even your own individual life. And then we top on that of the virus that is being going through our communities. And so let's join together around God's throne. Father, we come before you. Thank you that you are God, that there is a big welcome sign in front of the door. And Jesus stands there and, and he's... He's the door. He opens it up for us to come in to access your presence. And with what everything is going on in our life, we can bring it before you. The pain, the pressures, the thing that is causing us to lose sleep, whatever that might be, we can bring it to you. And you hear us. No, you hear us, but God, you are working in us and through those situations. And we'll trust you with that. And help us, Lord, either to remove that, whatever it is that troubles us, or give us grace to go through that, wisdom, how to face it. As James talks about the trials, and, and we don't understand, but we can come to you and ask wisdom, and that is a promise of God that you said you would give us wisdom in those trials. Father, as we think about our country, and we ask wisdom, starting with our president on down to our the different branches of our government and down to our local levels that God truly they will make wise decisions that are not motivated by self-interest but God that they are, are for the best for the whole country for every community we ask your blessings upon that God would you just uh, be with the churches Protect us from whatever. May uh, our congregation, may each of us be protected from the viruses that are, that are going about, especially COVID-19. We ask your protection on that. Lord, we lay this before you. And we have confidence as we lay it before you and we leave it with you that we'll walk away that knowing that, God, you're at work and you will work. God, use this service. Use our open heart, 
our, our receptives, ears to hear and apply your truths to our life. We praise you. We give you glory for all these things. And we praise you through our singing today. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? You may stand. We're going to sing a few songs. But before we do that, on your sheet, if you don't have a sheet, Linda has some, so raise your hand. But we have a verse we want to recite today. Um, it's Psalm 1914. So let's go together on that, okay? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's our prayer today. And as we sing, let it be pleasing to him, okay?
sing a song that is very old. Um, I like how Fred put it. It's a lullaby. It's kind of got a lullaby to it, but it's beautiful. It's about our great Savior. Again, that's another word for our precious God um, is Savior. So let our lips sing to him this um, beautiful song. Say 
Father, we come to you now and thank you that you are with us to the end. If we know you, it's going to be even greater because we will not have to suffer in our own damnation. It will be uh, glorious with you and heavenly and joyous. There's not even a negative thing there. We will never have to vote again because you will be our king. We thank you for that promise. And you're not leaving us. God, you are with us through every trial, sorrow, temptation. And Father, today as we listen to your word, which is perfect, it's right, it's holy, it's honey, it's many descriptions from your word. We pray that we would taste and see that you're good. Even though we don't like to do something you might say, God, it's still good for us. We ask that our ears would be listening and our tongues would be silent more, mine especially, Lord. I just thank you so much for your forgiveness and your love to us and be with each one of them here, Lord. Holy Spirit, walk through these pews and speak to each one of us where we're at. We're all at a different place, so help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to know what, what place we're at and do something with that. Not just listen and go away not changed. We want to be changed. Thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 3. There should be a pew Bible in front of you, or you can go on your phone, or you can just listen. Uh, James, chapter 3, we're currently going through this great book of James. James writes this as a, uh, ends up being the pastor of the first church of Jerusalem, and we believe that he is also the brother of Jesus Christ. And so he gives us some great um, in-depth teaching about what it means to be a mature Christian. And we looked at chapter one, talk about trials, and we all have trials. He goes into chapter, in, in, more into chapter one about temptations. We all have temptations. And then in chapter two, talks about um, dealing with the poor. We all know that we have the poor among us. And then there's equality among, between the rich and the poor, and he approaches that uh, subject. Uh, not to favor one above the other. And so uh, when we come into chapter 3, it takes a, a different um, subject. Now, as we, as we go through the book of James, understand it's like the book of Proverbs. If you ever read the book of the Proverbs, the Old Testament, it talks about subjects and goes to a different subject. And James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. This subject, now this subject, now this subject... So the subject that we're going to take is always is very relevant, very, it's very personal to us. It's just going to talk about our tongues. And we all have them. I don't know about you, but there is one instrument in my body that, that my tongue gets in me into trouble more than any other thing in my life. I, I may probably be just preaching to myself, but our tongues can get us into trouble. Now, James goes on and he tells us that our tongue is, a, is an expression what is inside. The tongue speaks about what can't be seen to others. Now, when you go to the doctor, one of the first things, uh, if you say to the doctor, I'm not feeling well, he'll say, can you stick out your tongue? And the reason he does that, he wants, he wants to see your tongue is going to reveal something that's inside Physically, but not, you know, not spiritually. But James is saying that spiritually, you know, we're kind of coming to this spot. He says, all right, I want you to stick out your tongue. I'm going to share what's inside. I don't really be sticking out your tongues right now, but uh, he's going to reveal something here. And my goodness, we live in such a volatile environment today in our culture Harsh words are common, hatred for whatever is stated. 
and we can feel the heat of the anger if we just stand up for something and whatever it might be. We feel that wrath of words. Now, it doesn't mean that we are not to stand up. We're not to uh, stand up or say what we believe, but... but uh, and there are some injustices in our culture. There are, there are um, you know, the, the injustice of the unborn, how that everyday babies in America and around the world are, are aborted. And we're to be the voice for those unborn. People get caught up into human sex trafficking, and those are some culture issues that we are dealing with, and we need to stand up for the injustice that are happening in, our, in our, our day. But the thing is that when we're standing up, we must keep in mind as what, what James said in the last chapter 2 is about the royal law. So all that we do, make sure it's in a context of love of God and the love of others comes through. I love this, you know, and you know, when we hear a lot about what's going on in uh, like Portland and Seattle, I'm from the Northwest, and my, uh, one of my uh, son-in-law is a police officer, he got called out Friday because of, of uh, some things going on in the Bellevue, uh, which is right next to Seattle, but in Portland and in Seattle, you know, they're, they're having some gospel concerts, there's some Christian gatherings, and they've decided to come into these areas. And downtown Portland, there's some YouTube videos, you ought to check that out, is that they, they are preaching the gospel. And, it, and there's a river that goes through Portland, if you've ever been in Portland, there's a river, and they're having baptisms in that river just right next to where all the riot is going on. There is a revival in the rioting. I said this because one time, one of the, the videos, it was as a guy who says, he says, I don't get that. He said, said I, when I'm protesting against these Christians, and, 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 he, and he says, you know, the, and the louder I say, the louder they sing. I, and he says, it's like his friend said, I don't get this. <laughs> it's the royal law is that we have chosen to do whatever we want to do around that royal law of loving God and loving others. We can disagree and at the same time know that we have love in what we say. So James talks more about the tongue than any other book in the New Testament. In fact, if you were to look at every chapter, every chapter goes back to the tongue, goes back to the tongue, the words that are spoken goes back to that. So let's look at verse 1. We're in James chapter 3, let's look at verse 1. It says, Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, we, excuse me, not many of you, all right? That's a very important word here. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach should be judged with greater strictness. And we live in a time and an age when everyone wants to be the one who gives advice. I mean, we can Google it, and we've got it, so we'll tell you what we found on Google. Everyone wants to be an expert. And James is here, and I listen, don't be in such a rush of becoming an expert, a, t a teacher. And he's in context here, he's writing this letter to these churches, these young Christians, these young churches, and he said, now listen, there's some of you... <laughs> You want to be a teacher, you want to be there, you want to you know, speak your mind and, and tell what you know, but listen, a teaching uh, position is a very, has a very high responsibility. You're, you're held accountable to a higher level than the pupil. The teachers have strict standards, and, and if you set yourself up as a teacher, your words are going to be tested according to your behavior. So he said, I want you to understand that, that if you are teaching, there, there is some account of, there's a strictness, there is a, there is a, this position is important. It's one of my regrets, um, not taking teaching positions, especially early in my ministry. I didn't value what, these, what this meant. I, I wish I would have grab hold of this earlier in my ministry, how that, what we say, how we teach, 
from our children to our friends to maybe being a teacher in a church is that we must take this very important. And, and, I'll, and I'll say this, that, you know, just because you have uh, the gift of public speaking or the gift of gab does not qualif- necessarily qualify you that you are a teacher uh, uh, of God's word. I believe that this is a gift that God gives us in the Holy Spirit. It's something, something beyond natural what you can do. And uh, that the Holy Spirit gives uh, the teaching abilities. And, and, and these gifts exceed our natural abilities. And God gives us the, And that we can take God's word. We can take his truth. And we can lay it out there. And people say, yes, I see that. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. I find in my experience and working of for the many years in the ministry is that it's usually the one that uh, that uh, it doesn't feel like they're the teacher type material. Usually, it's something like that that they are, yeah, because because it's a supernatural gift that God gives them, and 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 it's something that they didn't think they had in it. And you know, when that happens, when they step up and say, yeah. Man, God used me, and I couldn't believe it, and I didn't know what was in there. And then we, what we do is we give God the glory because of that happens. So a teacher is judged by his behavior. Not just what they say, but what they do as well. And this is very important because your behavior determines how strong or weak your platform of words are. You know, this is so important because, you know, if, if what you say is not backed up by your lifestyle, then you have discounted everything that you have said. Imagine the 12 spies, you know, back in the Old Testament. You know how that, that God promised to go into to the promised land? And, and as they went into the promised land, you remember that the 12 spies, and they came out, and, and there was a glowing report of what's, what's in there, but the 10 spies said, no, we can't go in. We're grasshoppers. They're giants. We'll be defeated. You don't understand what's the, the power they have. <clears throat> and then Joshua and Caleb comes along and says, hey, God's got this. I believe God. <clears throat> promises, <clears throat> excuse me, are true, and we will be able to go forward. So imagine we're going to college, Bible college, and there are two classes, and they're taught by this group that, that are the 10 spies, and then we have the two spies, and their subject is the same, how to have faith in God. Imagine what class are you going to sign up, you know? Are you going to go into the 10 spies and hear how that they had faith in God? No, because these guys, Joshua and Caleb, they had the t-shirts and said, faith in God led me to live in the promised land. They're they're, uh, proclaiming it loud and and bold, or bold and loud, and and, and they, they uh, they know. And so you would listen to them. And we still today listen to their words and get inspired by their message. Now, when we think about being a teacher, it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. You're a young parent here today. And you want to give knowledge to your children. You don't have to be perfect. Cindy and I, mainly I, have made a lot of mistakes as parents. We're not perfect parents. And if my kids were here, they'd say, yeah, amen, Dad, amen. Let's read on. I want to talk more about this. So, so verse 1 again and verse 2. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bride, bridle his whole body. There's some good stuff in this verse, verse 2. First of all, no one is perfect. We all have our weaknesses. But if you could control your tongue, the rest of your self-control issues would be a walk down easy street. Let's stop and think about it in a, a moment. What are some of the areas, you don't have to, uh, I don't want to hear them, but just in your mind, okay? 
Keep your tongue silent for right now. What are your areas that you may struggle in right now? Is it a relationship or, or maybe forgiveness or anger, eating chocolate? Maybe it's just food. We're going to have some delicious tacos. And a little bit. Maybe it's drugs, alcohol, pornography. What are some weaknesses that you struggle with? Maybe it's even being a 49er fan. That, that's a real struggle for you guys. And here's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, the, the supreme act of self-control is to be able to control your tongue. This is heavy. This is top-notch Bible teaching that we need to get this, how our tongue is so important. And when we see someone who can control their tongue, that's a person you really want to listen to. Because it is an indication that they have some control of a lot of things in their life. They're not perfect. Listen, and we're all in this boat together. <laughs> we have a tongue that needs to be tamed. James is saying if we can control our tongue, we can become perfect. That's what it said in verse 2. That's powerful. If I can control my tongue, man, there are other areas. If I have the ability to do that, tame my tongue, then, then I can have uh, self-control of other areas of my life. Now, when we take this word perfect, it doesn't mean that, that you're going to be absolutely sinless. And I've met some people that said they were absolutely sinless. and it, uh, I, I, No way. None of us are absolutely sinless. Unless, unless you are dead, you're a believer, and you are dead, you're going to go to heaven. You, yeah, absolutely. But if you're walking among us, uh, you are just as imperfect as, as the best of us or the worst of us. <laughs> None of us can say perfectly called by be a teacher or a parent or a grandparent. The word perfection, it literally means just, just being healthy, just mature. It's, just, it's that you're in this process of growing in Christ. So James is giving something to us with the tongue here. He says he's giving a measuring stick of our spiritual maturity, how well we control our tongue. Our tongue measures our spiritual maturity. Listen, your tongue sticks out and says, this is where I am in my spiritual growth. How well we control our tongue is a moral marker for maturity in Christ, for maturity in Christ. So it's very important. So James talks about this. But number two, our tongue determines the direction for our life has great, tremendous influence over our lives. Where we are headed in life, where we're going to be 10 years from now, we look at our conversation. What is our tongue saying? What, what do you like to talk about? What do you talk about the most? We shape our words and our words shape us. James is saying here that, that the tongue is, though it's small, it's tiny, it's, it's only like you know, three inches long. Weighs about two ounces, but, but it's significant to us. Has tremendous power. Let's read verses three and verse uh, to verse six. It says, "If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, oh, I love horses. They're magnificent." I was talking to a, a John earlier about horses. Uh, uh, but if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also, that they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, whether they, whether they will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. Wow, the description of the power of the tongue. That a little piece of metal can dictate a direction 
or a 2,000 or 3,000 pound animal, a horse, or a rudder of a ship, though small in comparison to the rest of the ship, it can give direction by the pilot that turns that little rudder and it goes in a direction. Bits and rudders are something very small that controls something very big in comparison. And our tongue influences our direction in our life. It's an indicator. It's like when you turn the turn signal on your car and you turn it on and it goes, you know, you left, I'm going left, going left, going left, left, okay, I'm going left. Usually, unless you're like you're me, you're going down 101 and you forgot to turn the turn signal off. I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Thank you, Wayne. I see that hand. Our tongue is a steering wheel for our lives. It's like a guidance system. It, it reveals where we're going. Our conversation is an indicator. What path are we on? What, what, what excites us? What is our passion? What, what do you talk about? It guides us with that way. James is saying your speech gives the location where you're going to end up. And you think about, you know, when we come to, to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we call upon those words, and those words, you know, with the, what will we believe in our heart, with our mouth, confession is made unto salvation, as Paul says there in Romans. And we're talking about eternal destination, direction. But what, I, what is in my heart, and I confess to God, and God, you saved me. God, I believe in you. Those words, what's in a heart, tells us that we're going to end up in heaven and not hell. That's powerful. The direction our tongues can take us. Well, some might say, well, if the tongue has such influence, maybe it's best not to say anything at all. You know, talk about there was a guy who joined a monastery, and for three years he was given a probation period where he was not to speak at all. But they, at the end of each year, he could say two words. So the first year, at the end of the year, year he said, bed hard. At the end of the second year, he said, food cold. And in the third year, those two words that he was able to say, he, he, at the end of the year, third year, he had about had it. He comes in and says, I quit. Well, the head priest says, that doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain ever since you got here. <laughs> the small but vocal member in our body determines where the rest of the body is going to go. Number three, our tongue has the power to do great good or Equally great harm. Let's look again. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteous. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. Moving to Southern California, we know, I, I know I got used to knowing that, you know, you see those big clouds of smoke, you know, there's the fire going on as we've seen this week and we see this. And that just a tiny spark from a chain of a car or, or one match or, or somebody deliberately set, or lightning, you know, that it just it creates this great amount of destruction that's difficult to put out. And destroy thousands of trees and animals and structures and even lives. Can, can you see what James is trying to tell us? Our tongue, take this serious because our tongue can do so much damage. One slanderous sentence one critical statement, one hurtful comment can impact a whole life. And then those lives, because they're damaged by that, can impact other people's lives as well. This was very convicting for me this week. 
I had to send a, a text to my kids, a group text that we do, a family text. I said, guys, you know, so I've been convicted of the things that I have said, and I started a review of how I spoke to my children, and I regret the words that I've used and the things that I've said. And I told him, I said, well, there's hope in all this because I'm going to be a great-grandfather because of the things that I said that I've learned towards my kids. It impacts lives. It's important. You remember the rhyme when growing up? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a really false statement. Emotional pain can be relived over and over again from words that do great damage. Some of us, if we would like to do personal confession, confession, we would say, you know, somebody said this to me in my life and it really hurt me and I'm still feeling the pain of it today. Every time I hear that, every time I go back to that spot, Emotional pain is relived over and again. Physical pain doesn't, you know, it hurts and it goes away and we're kind of like, oh, that was that time. But emotional pain in the words can do so much. And I read one of the, my studies, I read one about a, about a child who was talking about how they, he was, he was uh, at eight years old contemplating suicide and, and he went in and reviewed about his parents and his parents, one of the things his mother said to him is said, said, you know, your life, your birth has ruined my life. A mother said that to a child. And the child wrestled with those words, in other words, the rest of their life. A whole course of their lifetime, believing one way, which was never meant by God. To hear the message, you know, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, you never amount to anything. And these have a tendency to stick to us. And we replay these over and over again in our life. So James is saying, listen, it's like going out in the forest and having a spark and light a match and the damage just continues to go forward. What others say can last a long time. We have to be careful of the casual, sarcastic remarks or the, or the critical remarks can infect injury on a person. At the same time, you flip this, the well-timed encouragement or compliment can inspire someone for the rest of their life. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 18. He says, in your hands uh, that you have death and life are in the power of the tongue. And we want to speak life to our kids. We want to speak life to each other. We want to speak life, not death. And so we have to pay attention to our words. They determine one's direction, not only for our lives, but for others as well. James says, a whole course of his, of his life was on fire, and itself on fire by hell. And when James was talking about that, they, they knew, and this is where Gehenna in the Greek, and, and there was a, a place outside of Jerusalem that was a literally continually burning trash dump that stunk and smoke was, I mean, this is a literal place. And, and so he said, this is, this is the hell itself. And he's trying to, to grasp, paint this picture that, that your tongue can, can present a place where it's just as terrible as that dump that's burning and stinking. And that was also the place where, where in, you remember in the Old Testament, where they, they would sacrifice the children to the false god Molech. Very same place. That people got caught up and was away from God and, and they did that. It set the whole course of his life on fire by one little word. He's saying you can create a chain reaction. You can, you can say something that you didn't mean to have any harm, but <clears throat> its devastating facts are beyond control. You can come home from work 
You're tired, you're grumpy, and cranky. And the husband walks in and yells at his wife. The wife yells at the oldest kid. Oldest kid yells at the baby sister. Baby sister. The baby sister goes out, kicks the dog. The dog goes and bites the cat. The cat comes in, scratches the baby. The baby bites the head off the Barbie doll. It'd be a whole lot easier and simpler if the husband just went out and bite the head off of the Barbie doll. <laughs> There's a trained reaction that happens in our homes, and even churches as well, that we must resist this, we must fight, so that we don't set on fire by hell, hell self. You know, when couples you know, come in and they, they're, you're counseling, and they want to say, well, she said this, and, and he said this, and then it just escalates, and then it's just like hell breaks loose. Those words that are said and combated back and forth. Let's go in a couple more verses. But James says in th- chapter 3, verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But listen to this, verse 8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. If we were to stop there, we'd say, Man, there's no hope. I just got to go with what my words. I'm just going to go with it. I don't know, James is not going to tell us. He's not going to leave us there. But he said, every kind of beast and bird, you can tame them. You, you could take a, a wild rattlesnake and tame it and, and, and be able to do that easier than you can tame your tongue because no human person can perfectly tame their tongue. Nevertheless, the tongue can be brought under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. And we might say that only God himself is mightier and greater and more powerful than our tongue. Because we can't do this. A woman once said to John Wesley, said she knew that her talent was, and she, she told John Wesley, who was a great Methodist pastor, evangelist, he said, I think my talent from God is to speak my mind. Well, Wesley replied, I don't think God would mind you if you buried that talent. <laughs> you know, saying about everything that comes to a mind is, is unwise. Paul of, of Proverbs talks about this. It can be just as destructive. We have to control, have to think before we say it. And remember, James said this in, in chapter 1. He says, slow down, think before you speak. What kind of damage is that going to be? What's going to happen? If I say this, how is that going to hurt? We cannot control our tongue. We need God's power, which is number five. Our tongue can only be tamed by God. Let's read verse nine. With it, talking about the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father until with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives as a grapevine produces figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The source. These words, of course, matter to God and they matter to us. Words are a primary means in how God has chosen to reveal himself it's way to us. Timothy says this, that, that they are sufficient. You have furnished the person, well furnished. We have the word of God. Listen closely. God's word that is spoken from a life that, that walks the talk are adequate to change your neighbor's life. Your, your relative can be changed simply by hearing the words of God. Yeah, words have a power to, to destroy, but listen, words have a power also to create. You got God, you know, in the beginning when we believe that God created everything that we see in this earth because he is God and he is, you know, he is the ultimate power and sovereign God, all knowledge. He created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh day. And he did that. How did he do that? He created everything by his spoken word. That's powerful. So the same God that did that can come into us and he can help us control our tongue and give us words that will speak life, that create goodness. And everything that God has created except for man and he breathed and you know, made man from the dust and breathed into him became a living soul. 
and gave us eternity in us. Our soul is going to live somewhere for eternity. And so we see here that our words have power to create, to give life. In a very practical way, if our words, our tongue is speaking honest things, it creates trust, doesn't it? If we're speaking forgiveness, it creates healing. My kids responded back to me, and I'm trying to build myself up and make myself look good, but my kids responded back with some positive affirmation things from what I said, you know, and asking the forgiveness of things that I've said to them. Listen, speaking encouragement creates confidence. Listen, you're talking to somebody and, and you want to encourage them. Well, your word's going to take that person. Where do you want that person to be? So you start saying, hey, I can see God's gifted you. It's teaching. Mind, this is good. Do you realize how good you are with this? And that will set them on a path, a direction. Find out how to encourage them. Find out where they're at and find out where your words could take them. Creates confidence. And speaking love creates value. And we could go on. The words have power to create. We have to be careful. Words matter to us, and they certainly matter to God. If we have the nature of all good that comes from a holy God dwelling us, our tongue can be tamed. Number six, our tongue without the control of God destroys. And I just want to go to a dark spot here about the tongue. Our words, it gossip and slander destroys the character of a person. The things that we can say can be so terrible for a person and, and assassinates their character. Being critical of someone destroys relationships and destroys confidence. You know, well-meaning critics, you know, say, well, uh, you know, you may well-meaning, but well-meaning critics use words that promote death instead of life. I like it. You know, that was good, but, and then the but just cancels every good thing you said about that person. And critical words kills the spirit. I believe, and maybe even right here in this congregation, people with great potential have been destroyed by someone's critical words that have been said to you. And you pull back. You were on a path of going forward in some area, but somebody said something, and you pull back, and you no longer are doing whatever that was critical of. Words matter. We have to fight this. We have to do this. You know, one of the, one of the top things that pastors are wrestling at this moment and this time, it's the number one thing that pastors are, are struggling with in, in ministering to the church, pastoring church, is that there are so many things and so many tension, you know, from... from how we should do this and how we shouldn't do this and how we should do this and how we do that. And churches all over are wrestling with, with people that are, that listen, we need to guard this. We need to be careful. I'm not saying you can't give your opinions and things like this, but let's do this under the umbrella of the royal law that our disagreements won't impact our relationships. Our love for each other is greater than our opinions. I'll give you one last thing, and we'll close. Our tongue nature, our tongue reveals our true nature. You know, I don't know much about farming, but I know an avocado tree produces avocados. I've got that down. The point is, Whatever is in the well comes out in the water. Whatever is in the tree comes out in fruit. My problem is not really my tongue. My problem really is my heart. As we said before, it's a reflection of what's inside our tongue. Stick out your tongue, and it's determined what's in our heart. My mouth eventually betrays what's really on inside of me. You know, I can fool you. And pretend, but eventually my tongue is going to catch me. It's going to let you know what really is inside. 
Our tongue reveals our true nature. Listen, if this is convicting, there are a couple things that I'd like for you to ask and think about. Do I have the indwelling presence of God in me? It's the thing that tames our tongue. Am I a believer in Jesus Christ? That God is the only power that can, that He is the only one that can save me and then change my life. And when you do become a believer, you, the Bible says all things become new. You even get, you know, a new heart and then you'll, yeah, you'll see your tongue and things and thinking all change. And that's called transformation. Do I need a new heart? Sidlow Baxter said, the proof that God's spirit is in your life is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but you control the tongue you do know. What God's in a heart. Do you know Jesus personally? If you do, you have this new heart. And, and, it, and yeah, we're not perfect, but we're growing. We're getting better. We're, we're changing to be more like Jesus Christ as we go forward in our spiritual transforma transformation. And maybe you, you say, you know, I do know Jesus I have salvation. I, I know I've been spiritually born again. And then the question begs, are you letting the Holy Spirit control your life? Is He in the driver's seat? Is, is, is you're letting your words be conformed and be led by the Holy Spirit? One of the key things with this is just to make sure that you're putting in the things in your right mind Proverbs says this in chapter 16. He says, the wise mind gives wise speeches. That you're in the word of God, that you're feeding your word, that you're under the, of the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. The average American has 30 conversations a day, and you'll spend one-fifth of your life talking your tongue is going to be active one-fifth of your life. In one year, your conversations would fill 66 books of 800 pages per book. Listen, this is important for us as Christians, that we use our words to create life. As I speak today, I want to be a blessing. I want to give you encouragement and uh, with this area. But I wonder, uh, with this, as we go away from here, is there somebody in your life you could say right now, you know, I know that I could give some words of encouragement to that individual. And you would go to that person this week and, and you would be determined to be a source of life in their life. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Every head bow. Every one of us needs what James is talking about. It's obvious it's a universal problem. There's a tombstone that read that said, Here lies Abrella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> that was on our tombstone. I, I hope we don't have to wait that long for us to control our tongue. You're here this morning and you, and you say, God, I, I need a heart transplant. And in the quietness of this hour between, God, I, I want this new heart that Gary was talking about, a new spirit that come into my life for the first time take control. Just pray that. God, come into my heart, my life. I give you my life. Maybe here you say, I just need to recommit myself. I, and I've messed up. I've slipped. I've said things and recently. And, and this is convicting. And you say, God, I need your help to control my tongue. Maybe you've been a verbal arsonist 
and say things that have hurt her. A, a mate, a kids. We need to pray, say, God, help me today. A guard on my mouth. And I think before I speak. Father, we come before you today. A very convicting message for us, but very relevant for us because we need this in our life. So important for us to have a tongue, our words that would be godly, that God would be coming out through our words. And God, we got to have you in our heart to begin with. And God, we invite you if you. If there's someone here today, God, we know that you want to come in and give them a new life. And God, if, if we're struggling with control of our life, God, help us to yield to the Holy Spirit. It will be clay in your hands to mold us and make us like, like in the image of Jesus Christ. God, we are not resisting you. We're yielding to you. We're submitting to your care and control for who we are and what we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close this song. And I'm going to ask Thomas to follow me to the baptism. And uh, I want you to sing this song. Send leads it and the group leads us. this week and every word you say.